Who is Professor Sarusi? He is the, you want to know, he's the Emmanuel Alexander Professor of Musicology and Director of the Jewish Music Research Center at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I think that means that we've brought everybody, everybody from the Faculty of the Humanities at Hebrew U now. There are new people. Oh, yeah, I'm just joking. Since 2008, he has been head of the New School of the Arts at Hebrew University. He was born in Montevideo, Uruguay. He immigrated to Israel in 1971, where he took undergraduate and graduate degrees in musicology and received his PhD from UCLA in 1987. And you were there with Shalom Sabar? Yes. With Shalom Sabar. That is, the, that is a connection we have. He taught at Bar Ilan and Tel Aviv Universities in Israel and was visiting professor at, here's a string for you, SUNY Binghamton, UCLA, Universidad de Buenos Aires, Wesleyan University, Dartmouth College, I cannot pronounce this next one in Zurich, Moscow University, University of California, Berkeley, Boston University, and Harvard University. He has published extensively in North African and Eastern Mediterranean Jewish musical traditions on Judeo-Islamic relations in music and on Israeli popular music. He founded Yuval Music Series and is editor of the acclaimed CD series Anthology of Music Traditions in Israel. With that, I'm going to hand over the microphone and the singing to Professor Sarusi. Thank you all for coming today. Thank you very much, Ariad. Thank you, all of you, for coming. Um, I will try not to repeat whatever jokes I said yesterday <laughs> because I realized that uh, there is um, quite a sizable audience here that heard him yesterday. But bear with me, please. Uh, if I repeat something, uh, try to laugh. <laughs> Don't embarrass me, OK? Uh, I will uh, make some uh, brief, as yesterday, introductory remarks. But before that, I want, from my side and from the side of my uh, wife, to thank, to thank the Community Scholar Program, this amazing privilege that you have here. Not many Jewish communities uh, have the energy, to say the least, to create such an incredibly rich program. And I feel really belittled uh, in comparison with all the great scholars that uh, visited here in, in previous years, which are really remarkable uh, individuals, one by one. And uh, I want to thank Arya for the kindness and for the logistics, Marianne, too, thank you so much, and Avi, who was already mentioned. And today, I won't forget my loyal son, man, Greg, who uh, is uh, faithfully helping me these days um, and help you to hear the lectures. And finally, I want to thank uh, the Vilner family, Gaila is here finally, and her husband, and the children, and the grandparents, who uh, have been amazing uh, hosts uh, for us this week. So uh, we want to learn something about uh, Sephardic music. And uh, I will just repeat very briefly the remarks that I opened yesterday, why music matters, why music is important, why music is not only about entertainment or an ornament in our lives, but music is important to our existence as human beings. I would say that one of the chief distinctions between human beings and animals, even though there are some very musical animals, is the richness of the musical life of human beings. 
And music can teach us a lot that texts cannot teach us. So music is a kind of text. I don't know if you can uh, understand uh, that uh, uh, rather uh, abstract concept is something that we can read if we have the proper tools and learn about history and about society. This is why, by the way, this I didn't say yesterday, we called with, with Arya after certain exchanges, we called the series the Jewish musical experience. I am not talking about Jewish music. I am talking about how Jews made their own identity throughout the centuries through music. And many of the musics, as we heard last night, are shared by other non-Jewish communities. So there is a shared space of Jewish, non-Jewish music that is very important and that sometimes doesn't come through the texts, but it comes through the music. And uh, uh, all these uh, theoretical points are the background for the subject of today and all the lectures that uh, we are having in this series. And uh, now we are going to talk a little bit to the specific of the uh, musical traditions that is going to occupy us this uh, afternoon. Uh, I will make some historical remarks. We will see a couple of maps, as I showed yesterday. Maps are important. History is important to understand how music fits. And I want to tell you that unlike yesterday, where I play, I think, 13 different pieces, today we are going to hear only one song. And the reason is that through this song, I will take you into a tour of what is the Sephardic musical tradition, what it means, and how it evolved into the very modern, or I should say, postmodern period in which we live right now. So this time I will take one song and I hope that you will sing with me so you get out from here knowing a new song. Uh, so uh, that, that's the technique I will use today. So pedagogically I am taking a different turn than yesterday when we heard many, many uh, different pieces. And uh, uh, there is a lot of confusion. In general, Jews are confusing. <laughs> Jews are confused, usually about themselves, and then they are confusing to, uh, to the others because how can I explain you know, something like my family, which in the past three generations we, ha we had people in four different continents coming from 15 different countries in one person. So that, that's, uh, and any of you sitting here, I don't have to interview, each of you has a story to tell of, of family, of movements, of migrations, of sometimes expulsions, uh, and, uh, and then uh, settling out of uh, uh, any other uh, alternative in places and developing a new life. So all these contingencies of Jewish life can be also heard in the music. If you remember what I said yesterday, we are also what we hear, what we listen to, and what we carry in our musical memory tells something also about who we are. So. Among the confusions is when you divide Jews in groups. They say, well, can you divide the Jewish people? Yeah, there are Sephardim and Ashkenazi. That's the first thing that everybody will say. Well, I want to just uh, put uh, these issues in perspective. And for you who are my students, and I consider you my students, the same like the 
Harvard students, no less. I hope that you will uh, get out uh, from this series of lectures having a more subtle um, um, appreciation of the, uh, the internal divisions of the Jewish people according to history and according to ethnicity. But I will start with language, with Judeo-Spanish. What is Judeo-Spanish? Because this is important. Also, as I mentioned or hinted yesterday, we are not only what we hear in terms of music, we are also what we speak in terms of language. Our language, language is a very powerful uh, tool for uh, creating an, uh, an identity. We're talking with Gaila about Hebrew, modern Hebrew, as such an important tool for Israelis. We are going to talk about this more uh, tomorrow. Judeo-Spanish is, and I will just uh, read with you, based on several dialects of Romance languages from the Iberian Peninsula, such as Castilian, Aragonite, Catalonian, Portuguese, and so on. This is just to correct the perception that when people say, what is Judeo-Spanish, this is Old Spanish. It is not, because there is no such a thing as Old Spanish. There is only Modern Spanish, the language that crystallized after the Jews left Spain. And of course, there are endless variations of Spanish. You live here in Southern California. There is a Southern California dialect of Spanish. So therefore, the Jews left the Iberian Peninsula uh, in several waves, but the last and final uh, expulsion in 1492, speaking different types of Romance language, of Spanish languages. So therefore, the Jewish language that developed after the 15th century is different in the different locations and depending where the people came from in Spain. This language is also called Ladino. Isn't that true? Many people know that as Ladino. But Ladino was never the name of this language until the 20th century. So if you ask Sephardic Jews in the past, what do you speak? They said, first of all, the main answer is we speak Judeo. Judeo is the Ladino word for Yiddish. I speak Jewish, okay? I speak Jewish, okay? So Judeo, or some people say even Espanol, Spanish. But uh, the term Judeo-Spanish is an academic, is, a, is only used in universities. Nobody will say I speak Judeo-Spanish. It's only in academics. And Ladino is today the most common word used for this language, but it's after the word Latino, which you know here in the United States very well, that word. I hope so. You, be you better do. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this term comes uh, for the time, for exactly after the expulsion of the Jews, and even before the Jews start to translate the Bible into Spanish for those who don't understand Hebrew. Okay? The whole issue of translating into the language that people understand was not invented by the reform movement in the 19th century. <laughs> It has been with the Jewish people forever, and forever the rabbi says, you better understand what you're saying in any language than don't understand in Hebrew. So therefore, uh, they translated the Bible, and this is a mirror translation. What that means, for every Hebrew word, there is a word in Spanish. So you get constructs in Judeo-Spanish that are meaningless in Spanish, in, in Spanish uh, um, because uh, uh, you don't have such type of formations. I can say, for example, if I take from the Agadah of Passover, which you all know, so you say, Alayla Hazeh. Don't you? You say, Alayla Hazeh Kulamanza. So in the Ladino Agadah, 
It's written la noche la esta, which is nonsense in Spanish. But it's ha, laila, ha, ze. La noche la esta. So that's Ladino. But eventually it became the name of the language. And of course, as any Yiddish or any Jewish language, the Judeo or the Judeo-Spanish absorb a tremendous amount of Hebrew vocabulary. So all the internal uh, uh, Jewish speech, it's embedded in Ladino in Hebrew. And on top of that, people settle in different areas. So they speak Turkish, Arabic, Greek, it's a very important language, Greek in Ladino. Many Jews settled in Saloniki, and Greek was an important language there. And the Bulgarian and other languages, and also colonial languages. So modern Ladino, what, whatever still reman, remains and doesn't remain a lot of this language, s people who really speak the language as a mother tongue, they have a lot of French in it. And this is due to the French influence of French modern education on the Jewish communities both in the Ottoman Empire, that is in Turkey, in Greece, and also in North Africa. So now you know what Ladino is, and you know what Ladino songs are, and you know what to expect from these texts. And finally, what is Sephardic? I will be very brief, because this is an endless discussion. But we have a narrow sense and a wide sense, and you know. So the narrow sense is very simple. All the speakers of Judeo-Spanish are the Sephardic. And this is the position taken by very prominent Sephardic Jews. Among those, the most important is the fifth president of the State of Israel, Yitzhak Navon, who is the main crusader for Judeo-Spanish in the world. And uh, he says only those who speak Judeo-Spanish are Sephardic. All the rest are others, Orientals, <laughs> you name. And there are two main places where Jews spoke Ladino. One, as I said, the Ottoman Empire. Okay? Uh, if you remember, this big empire included many, many countries of today, including countries that you don't think about, like Romania. I mentioned that yesterday because of the Turkish influence on klezmer music. So you see, now we see that from the Sephardic side, that there was a prominent Sephardic Ladino-speaking community in Romania. So not all Romanian Jews are Ashkenazi. They're also Sephardic Jews. Just an example of this complexity. And finally, we have what I, the white sense, which I call also Israeli Zionist, simply because this is the division used also by, for example, the uh, Israeli Lishkatat uh, uh, statistic, the statistics, you know, when they count how many Jews came from here, from there. So there is a division between the Sephardic Jews and the Oriental Jews. I have no other word, it's a horrible word, but the Oriental Jews are all the Jews from Islamic countries that do not speak Judeo-Spanish. So these are Yemenites and Iraqi Jews and, uh, and uh, Syrian Jews, etc. But in, in the in the Israeli sense, eventually, everybody was called Sephardic on the simple reason that all these groups, Judeo-Spanish speaking and non-Judeo-Spanish speakers, like Arabic speakers, Persian speakers, etc., they all share a common Sidur Tefillah. They all pray from the same Nusach of the prayer book. And therefore, they have also, they abide by the authority of the chief rabbi of Israel, and therefore, they're all Sephardim. So today, a Yemenite Jew 
which by no way of account, and if you ask President Nabon, he will say, a Yemenite Jew is not a Sephardic by the wide sense of, this, uh, the, uh, uh, of the word, uh, they are Sephardic. Just one map I will show today, yesterday I showed like four or five, but something about the distribution of the Sephardic Jews after 1992, and you can see the um, immense spread, and this spread doesn't include the Americas, because eventually, as you all know, the first immigrants to the American continent, the first Jewish immigrants were Sephardic Jews, Spanish and Portuguese Jews, who had a whole story of being Christians, of being uh, converted into Christianity. This is important for my song, that many Jews converted, and then they came back to Judaism in the 17th century in places like Holland and uh, Hamburg, and the, the, these people were very heavy on the maritime trade on, on the, on the uh, West Indian uh, company. And therefore, they were traveling between the continents uh, and they are the ones who settled first in Brazil and then in the Caribbean and then eventually here in the United States, the old Jewish community of the time of the American Revolution. Okay, they were Sephardi Jews. Uh, but the big contingents settled in the Ottoman Empire, which is the Eastern Mediterranean. Some of them settled in Italy. There is a very noticeable Italian Jewish community and the rest Many, many settled in North Africa, what is today Morocco, Algeria, Libya, uh, Tunisia, and Egypt. So this is the vast spread. I want you to understand this spread because it has also a musical reflection. So the Ladino songs that today we hear by, by uh, popular singers, in a way, is a total mishmash. It's a, a, it's a salad of musical memories coming from very different places and locations. Just something about Sephardic culture. So we have yet again uh, two poles, if I may say, of perception. One, and I put this in quotation marks, not because I don't respect these terms, but these are terms that appear a lot in the literature about Sephardic Jews. This can be books of Sephardic cuisine, Sephardic fashion, Sephardic music, etc. These Jews are very traditional. They're faithful to the Iberian roots. The issue of being faithful, of remaining connected to a culture of 500 years ago, to a culture that throw you away and you still remain faithful to that, that's a very powerful trope when we're speaking about Judeo-Spanish uh, people, and mostly the trope is based on two, be, uh, on two uh, elements. Language, that the Jews still speak some kind of Spanish, of medieval Spanish, and with all the reservations that I already told you. And the second is the music, that the music is a continuation of the music of medieval Spain. And this is the main issue of my lecture today. Is the Sephardic music indeed a continuation of Spanish music or songs, or is it not? Uh, and all these words, noble, authentic, okay, are all words that appear in the literature. In reality, I, Sephardi Jews are also human beings, and human <laughs> beings are nothing but authentic. <laughs> there are, we are very flexible animals, 
we adapt to new circumstances. We are open to innovation. We like variation. We don't remain, we are not fossils. We are living beings. And Sephardic Jews, when they settled in Turkish, they started to change their menu and started to adopting Turkish food and Turkish dress and Turkish and Turkish music. So to present the Sephardic Jews as petrified Spaniards from the medieval period is something that is not only uh, unnecessary, but also is not true, speaking as a, as a scholar. And the final issue is the multi-diasporism, which I already hinted when I said that each of us, Jews, have multiple layers of diaspora. It's not only one. We have our ancient common diaspora from the land of Israel after the destruction of the temple, but then each of us has layers after layers, people who live, as I said, in many places. So Sephardic Jews were living in the Middle East. They moved to Spain. They're thrown through Spain, they moved to Italy. From Italy, they moved to Greece. From Greece, they moved to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, they moved to Seattle, Washington. <laughs> okay, where there is a very sizable Turkish uh, Sephardic Jewish community. So, uh, and, and from Seattle, they get a job uh, today, uh, obviously in China, okay, with some iTech company and you find, like, now I want to tell you something. Newport Beach, yesterday we were walking on the street. And there is, uh, uh, on, uh, on the coastal road, on the main road, there is a firm of the Algazi family. Is there any Algazis here in? There must be because there is an Algazi. Algazi family is one of the greatest Turkish Sephardic families uh, ever. And they live here in Newport Beach. How they got here, I have no idea. But obviously, if I will go today the, in the office of these Algazis, I think they are attorneys, okay? I will go and ask them. They will know what I'm talking about, and probably they will remember the grandparents, the great-grandparents who came uh, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, and they settled, and how they ended up in Newport Beach. Okay? So that's uh, uh, all what I have to say about history, language, and uh, perceptions of Sephardiness. And now we move into a song. So I will teach you this song. Uh, you have here the translation. I am in California, so I assume that all of you speak perfect Spanish, and even the translation is totally unnecessary. And the song is called Las Horas de la Vida, the hours uh, of the life, and it's called, this is not the name of the song, this is the scholarly name. So we as scholars give to folk songs names because folk songs live in variations. So everybody has a different version of the song. How can you group when you catalog all these songs, okay, uh, uh, under one name. If you use the first line, every folk singer starts from a different line. So we give these artificial names so that the song can be cataloged and with all the variants. So, a la una yo nací, please repeat after me, a la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí, a las tres tenía amante, a las cuatro me casé. Me casé con un amor. Now, for all of you who know Spanish, you don't say casé. You say me casé. Me casé o me casé. This z sound is characteristic of Judeo Spanish. And it's a very old pronunciation of the S. And 
the conjugation of the verb with e and not with a is also a remnant of uh, previous forms of, of Spanish. So here we have a nice example. And then we continue. Dime niña, donde vienes? Dime niña, donde vienes? Que te quiero conocer. Y si no tienes amante, yo te haré defender. And we go to the final stanza, yéndome para la guerra, dos besos al aire di, el uno para mi madre, y el otro para ti. Nice song. Now, when you, when you look at the song, okay, you say, gee, um, where the heck this song comes from? It also doesn't have a, a very internal logic. It's like every stanza is something different. So I will teach you how the song came into the Sephardic repertoire, and we're going to hear five, six, seven, if I have time, versions of how the song is performed as much as we will have time. And Arie, like yesterday, you will tell me when there are 10 minutes left, please. Uh, first of all, even though we have the word mekazi con un amor, this conjugation, in general, this is quite normative modern Spanish. So I, as a researcher, immediately start to suspect. <laughs> this is, looks too modern Spanish. Let's hear the first performance. I will start from the late 1960s. This is Joaquin Diaz, a very prominent folk singer of Spain and folk researcher and folk collector. And if you want something similar, he is a little bit like the Pete Seeger of Spain. So we'll hear the song. Now, you will learn the melody, and of course, we will sing it back from the text once the melody will come to you by listening to Joaquin Diaz. A la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí, a las tres tenía amante, a las cuatro me casí, me casí con un amor. Dime niña donde vienes que te quiero conocer y si no tienes amante yo te haré defender. A la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí, a las tres tenía amante, a las cuatro me casé. Me casé con un Yéndome para la tierra Dos besos al aire y El uno para mi madre Y el otro para mí A la una yo nací A las dos me engrandecí A las tres tenía Casi, 
great singer, nice voice. It's hot. I, uh, I want to point out here that we are talking about an artist, a person working within Spain under Franco, General Franco regime. And he is preparing this collection of Sephardic songs for introduction into the teaching program of the Ministry of Education in Spain in a time where there is hardly Jews in Spain still. There are today a few more. And in a period which is under the fascist government of Franco. Now, you say, hmm, interesting. Why, why, why this? So, when you study history, you see that there is a politics of Sephardic Jews within Spanish politics. The Jews are, they are not there physically, they haven't been there for 500 years, but they are a subject that occupies Spanish politicians who are sympathetic or are not sympathetic to the Jewish cause, and they discuss this all the time. And, and they research Sephardic culture, they publish journals and books, and they have professors at the university, some of them extremely well-versed in Judaism, who teach Jewish studies in a very Catholic, country as Spain as this as it is until this very day. So this Sephardic politics, one of the results was that there was a very important effort in Spain to collect Sephardic songs and to publish them and to teach them, which is something that we should think about in terms of politics of Jews without Jews, which is now coming back in Poland, that's the best example today, now with a huge Jewish museum opening in Warsaw now, it's a big thing going on. Once again, what is this politics of Jews, of our Jewish culture within a country like Poland in 2013? So, uh, the Jews may live, but they are still there. The memory is there, and it bothers the non-Jews. Why the Jews are not there, or why they are still around, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Now, I, I know Joaquin Diaz, and I ask him where, if there are no Jews to, to, to learn the songs from, where did you learn the songs from? This is how he looks today in his library. Uh, he has a, a, a museum of his own. Okay. So this is uh, Madame Gloria Levy from the 1950, circa 1950, New York City. So Gloria is um, a Jew from Turkey who immigrated to Cairo, to Egypt. So she has an Egyptian period and then came to New York in the 1930s. And she was a great folk singer of Sephardic songs in New York City. And where did she perform? She performed uh, mostly in a place called Sephardic House in New York City, a hub where all these Judeo-Spanish speaking Jews used to get together on Sunday, play cards, you know, uh, eat uh, uh, bureks, uh, <laughs> Turkish uh, pastries, and, and sing songs. Uh, an amazing woman, I had the privilege of uh, meet her when she was almost 90 years old in New York City, and she was a singer. And this is her daughter. Um, and she's today called Levi Davidas Kirchenheim. So she married an Ashkenazi Jew. 
<laughs> what is important for us is that in 1958, a label in New York City called Folkways, which now in these days is, um, belongs to the Smithsonian Institute, the Smithsonian bought the entire folk, um, Folkways. They published Sephardic Folkson sung by Gloria Lee. Okay. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, there is a mistake in the, in the slide. The mother is Emily Levy and the daughter is Gloria Levy. So Gloria Levy is singing. Uh, you see the, the visual. This is the El Transito Synagogue in Toledo, the, one of the very few synagogues that are still uh, there because it was transformed into a church. So it became a church. So who is Folkways? Folkways is Moshe Ash. So only a Jew, a communist Eastern European Jew, can come with the idea that can, there can be peace between all human beings if we will know the music of everybody. What a nice idea. So he founded Folk, folk Ways, and he recorded widely, or he sent people all around the world to record, publish these records. He, of course, invested much more <laughs> what he earned, but Folk Ways changed the history of folk music in the world. Because all of a the sudden, there are records of music that before that was utterly impossible to, to get that, particularly when you have music from the, uh, uh, from the sub-Saharan tribes in Africa. How could you hear the music if, some, if not some anthropologists who went there, recorded, brought to Moshe Ash the recordings, and he published them? And he met Emily Levy in New York. He said, Emily, you are a treasure. You know, nobody knows about Sephardic songs in the world. This is the first long play of Sephardic songs ever published after World War II. We will see in a minute that records were published before the war. But after the war, this is the first record. And many people learned the song from this record, including our good friend, Joaquin Diaz. So we are going to listen to Gloria. Now, why is Gloria? Gloria was already born in New York City. So she is a Latino speaker uh, of, of the second generation here in America. That is, she has an English accent in Judeo-Spanish. However, Emily told me, listen, I was too old to record. She was probably 47. <laughs> so she taught the songs to her daughter. The daughter is singing, and Emily is playing the mandolin. All the Jewish girls, the good Jewish girls in the, in the Levant used to play the mandolin. That was a very common uh, instrument. So she plays the uh, mandolin. By the way, this recording was done on the spot. No rehearsals, not take one, take two, take three, just first take, and that's what they publish. So it's a little bit limpy, okay? Playing the 
I'm sorry I'm stopping because we, we have to move, okay? But you can hear these songs later on. Uh, one final detail which is important. You see, there are the, the, the uh, long plays come with notes. So uh, Moshe Ash asked the editors to write notes. So the notes here, notes here are by Professor Mayer Jose Benardete. If I would define him, he's like the Arya Katz of the Sephardic Jews <laughs> in New York at the time. The Macher organizing uh, lectures and organizing seminars and symposia. He was a professor of Spanish at Brooklyn College, of modern Spanish, not of Judeo Spanish. A Turkish Jew, but he did a lot to regenerate uh, Sephardic life or Judeo Spanish life in New York City area and Brooklyn at the time where this tradition was already on, on the, on going down. Okay? People were being enculturated into the American ways of life. Now, where did Emily Levy learn in the East the song? Because obviously she brought that to America from Turkey or from Egypt. So this is one of the few cases where we know exactly where he, she learned the song from. And she learned the song from a very important singer of the Ottoman Empire who happened to record this song in 1906, and we have the 1906 recording. I bet there is nobody here who was born in 1906. His name Chaim Effendi. Look when he was born. You're going to hear now the voice of a person who was born in 1853. That's really a, a unique a privilege. The lady is not a singer, is the wife. Uh, that's the only photo I could find after searching all around the world for, for family members. That's one of the few pictures we have. Haim Bahar. How do you know? Yeah, you know to, oh, yeah, that was his name. You have, uh, here, ha this is how the records look, uh, the old uh, 78 records. You see there the Galata Tower of Istanbul. Istanbul is in the news once again, so. And you see that who did these records in Turkey? The Blumenthal brothers. Yes. <laughs> German Jews who established the first recording company in Turkey. Talking about immigrants, businessmen, people moving, technology and culture, you see how things are being made by the conjunction of so many people moving and doing stuff. So that's, that's my main point. Uh, that I want you to understand. And most of these encounters are not always planned ahead of time. They just happen. So here you have the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, me, participating in the making of culture. We reissue all the Chaim Effendi recordings a few years ago. After 25 years of research around the world, we even found recordings that nobody had, and they were in the stacks of the New York Public Library. Even th they, they didn't know they had the records. So we released all the, uh, he sings in Ladino, in Hebrew, and in Turkish. So we are going to hear Alauna in his version, recording 1906, okay, when he was a very famous and well-known, the most, the better-known Sephardic singer in the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, 50 something years. No, uh, b b 47. Yeah, yeah, more than 50 is years. Is Effendi a Jewish name? No, 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 no. Effendi is a Turkish word for, it's like sir. Yeah. yeah. So, but 
it's an honorary title, okay? But his name was Chaim Bachar, okay? In the old records, the singer announces the name of the company to make sure <laughs> that nobody misses them. play the whole song and I cannot even start to analyze musicologically what are the differences between what we heard before and what we hear now. I would just tell two very brief remarks for you to remember. One, he sings of course in a totally different technique. Okay? His voice is very different from, from Joaquin Diaz, certainly. Secondly, he, uh, he starts the song with a recitative. He doesn't go into this waltz that we heard before. And then he improvises a little bit at the end. All these tales without words that he has. So the song as heard in the Ottoman Empire at the beginning of the 20th century was a little bit different. Now, where it comes from? I will take the questions in a minute. Where it comes from? That was the question I asked. Does this song come from Spain in the medieval period? Doubt. So we know now that these Jews learned songs from modern Spanish singers who used to visit and perform in front of Jewish communities in Istanbul, in Saloniki, at the turn of the 20th century. And we do have the same song in Spanish sources as one of the important songs of flamenco. And the style that Jaime Fendi is trying to find a compromise is between flamenco and Turkish music. It's something like in the middle. And the words, you know, all these stanzas that they sing, every singer, every flamenco singer sings different versions of the same song with different stanzas, okay? Uh, the, f the opening stanza though, a la una, a las dos, a las tres, a las cuatro, uh, is part of a very old Spanish folk song that even 
can be found in Latin America among folk singers, etc., as a separate song, and it has 12 hours. So the song goes from hour one to hour 12, from birth to death. The main point I want to make here to prove you that he was listening to Spanish singers, non-Jews, and trying to imitate them, is that he sings a la una yo nací, at one o'clock I was born. A las dos me baptizaron. Two o'clock I was baptized. This baptism disappears after 10, 15 years. Someone changed it, a las dos me engrandecí. At two o'clock I grew up. But he still has the vivid memory of the Spanish song. And we have with Marlena a ongoing argument about was he aware of what we were singing or was he not? Was he just being faithful to the version he heard and he couldn't care less about the meaning, what is for a Jew to sing, I was baptized, or he perhaps didn't understood the meaning of what he's saying, certainly not within the Sephardic history with the Inquisition and with the forced baptisms, etc., etc. Now let's hear another recording. This is uh, my dear master and teacher, Rafael, Rabbi Rafael Nadav, who died in Brooklyn two years ago at the age of 92. One of the great uh, Jewish voices of the 20th century. Uh, again, a Jew born from a Yemenite family in Jerusalem who uh, became Sephardized, so he knew Judeo-Spanish, left to be the cantor in La Havana, Cuba in the 1950s when Fidel Castro came and the Jews uh, ran from, from Havana to, to Miami, he moved to Miami and then he moved to Brooklyn where he became the cantor of the Syrian Jews in Brooklyn. So he had to change his style to please the Syrian Jews in Brooklyn. And he recorded the song in the 1960s in New York. Now, he was also, and this is very interesting, fascinating story, in Jerusalem when he was young, he was the first non-Ashkenazi student of the Jerusalem Music Academy. And as such, he learned to sing also in the Western style, if you want operatic, bel canto, and he also uh, played the violin, and he also knew music notation. And you remember yesterday, we talked about music notation and the influence of music notation. So how this record was done in New York, Professor Benardete was not very pleased with the Gloria Levy record. So he came to El Nadav with, a, with scores of the song that was transcribed in Paris in the 1950s from the old recordings. So he brought him a score and said, I want you to sing this song. And that's how it was made. And listen to the sound of El Nadav, early 1960s in New York, how interesting he catch the song as probably it was in its origins without knowing anything about its origins. He thought this is a traditional Sephardic song forever. You don't need more than that. They pick up one of the greatest flamenco guitarists in New York for this recording. Can we have more volume? Oh, my 
So basically he's singing the Jaime Fendi version. Not the version of Joaquin Diaz, but the version that he got the transcription done in Paris, which was done from the record and not from the oral tradition. Okay? Now we will finish just questions at the end. If you please allow me, I have 10 more minutes and then we'll take the questions. Any, any questions you want, and you know, I'll stay with you until then. So the song became, to make the long story short, A La Una is, in my opinion, the second most recorded Latino song in the world. I have 125 commercial recordings of this song done in five continents, including a Japanese recording. To show you how wide the distribution of these songs are. And wherever, and you will see at the end, uh, I will show a video clip. Yesterday I didn't show video, today we'll show some video. That the uh, song is always presented as a quintessential medieval Sephardic song coming from medieval Spain. No matter what arguments Professor Serusi can make <laughs> as to the opposite, that's the power of the media, of culture, and it's the power of marketing strategies. If you sell something as authentic, as old, as truly uh, preserved over 500 years, that has an aura, so something that attracts you, that you say it's just buy this nice song. Okay? So that's uh, my point. I will play for you three performances and that's it to show you from the 125 versions that I have where this song can be taken. So the first one is the song goes back to Turkey. So this is uh, a group called uh, uh, Los Pasharos Sephardias, the Sephardic Birds, a group that has a lot to do with the revival of Ladino song in Istanbul in the 1980s. The, the, the Sephardic community in Istanbul, about 20,000 Jews that still live in Istanbul, and the last Judeo-Spanish speaking community, the language was almost forgotten because they all speak Turkish today. So these young people, as the young klezmorim of New York City of yesterday, of the 1960s, who searched for the roots, they started to search for their own roots and started to make songs and theater in Ladino in Istanbul. This is their version. Now this little song becomes a drama. Sorry, I'm running, but uh, that performance, as you see, goes back to the Joaquin Diaz version. So we have two versions, the Jaime Fendi version and the Joaquin Diaz. The Joaquin Diaz is by far 
more recorded because it's much more pleasant for Western ears. Very simply put, it's much more catchy and much more Western. But there are also artistic arrangements. So this is a, as I learned in Toronto when I gave the lecture on a similar topic, I asked for her, and she's a very prominent opera singer from Toronto. I just pick one example for you to hear. And it's very interesting what she does. Very fast. So now it sounds like an Italian tarantella, okay? Because of the rhythm. And a final example before we look to a video clip. This is the uh, extremely famous Esperion 21 ensemble of Jordi Sabal, probably one of the better known ensembles of uh, uh, European art music from the medieval period and, and from the Renaissance. Uh, they are from Barcelona, from Spain, and Jordi has recorded this uh, CD called Diaspora Sefaradi. Once again, we go back to Spain, to modern Spain, to the politics of Sephardic Jews within uh, uh, Spanish culture making uh, this statement with this CD which by the way was extremely um, uh, successful and it includes an Israeli musician, a Turkish musician and medieval and renaissance musicians. So the moment Jordi Saval plays Sephardic music by definition the music is medieval renaissance because that's what he is associated with. Okay? Now you will see what happened to the song we'll hear two three minutes it's, uh, we'll see This is a viola da gamba, 17th century instrument, like the cello, small cello. So you ask, where is our song? So he gives this introduction, which is a strange mix of Arabic-Turkish introductions to songs without beat. And there is no beat in this music. Okay? Like putting you in the mood for the song. Okay? And it's improvised. Now this looks like a funeral march. Okay, some very sad and no words, just the melody. Okay, a very introspective, very you know, spiritual with this very low drum, which of course immediately throws you into medieval music on the one hand, and on the other hand into world music. So this drum 
operates on both ends of the musical continuum, depending on how you select to hear them. Okay? So now we will go back and you will sing for me the song in your version. <laughs> okay? I will just, we'll just sing along with this. Uh, we will end, we'll show a little clip at the end to show you where the song can go. Okay? One, two, three. A la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí. A las tres de mi amante, a las cuatro me casé, me casé con un amor. Dime niña, ¿dónde vienes? Que te quiero conocer. Y si no tienes amante, yo te haré defender. Let's keep. Yéndome para la guerra, dos besos al aire di. El uno para mi madre y el otro para ti. A la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí, a las tres tenía amante, a las cuatro me casé, me casé con una. You're wonderful. You have an incredible. <laughs> okay, so to for you to live with a, with a smile, I'll play just one clip from YouTube. Just put a la una in YouTube and you will have the time of your life. <laughs> Now, look how the clip opens. Is the Celtic Mayan? That's what you say? This is a group of experts on Celtic music. Celtic music. And they sing a launa, a traditional 13th century Sephardic song. This next song I want to do uh, by request is a traditional 13th century Sephardic song. This is from a Renaissance cultural festival in Northern California. So this is from here. It's Sephardic. It's uh, Spanish-Jewish. The language is Ladino.
Yeah, uh, you of course, of course. I mean, you, your your question makes sense simply because we have to remember. And I didn't mention this, but it's self-understood, and you know from your general knowledge that Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal, not only the Jews were there, but mostly the Muslims. So for 700 years, 700 years, the uh, Muslims were in control of parts of the Iberian Peninsula, sometimes almost everything, and then less and less. So they left an imprint in Spain which is also part, by the way, I told you there is a Judeo-Spanish or Sephardic politics in Spanish cultural politics. There is also a Muslim, very heavy Muslim um, uh, factor in Spanish politics too, particularly in the south of Spain. So therefore, there, there may be someone will tell you, yes, <coughs> what we know as belly dancing, which by the way, <coughs> don't say that in the Middle East because it's the most politically incorrect. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, it's a very Western colonial gaze on on this dance to call it belly dancing, uh, but uh, there is a certain relationship between uh, Eastern uh, dances uh, in the Arabic world and some patterns of flamenco, definitely. So your question has substance. Yeah. Have a question over there. Yeah, you were going. Are you still going to tell us the German beer song? No, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, Wednesday. Yeah, that's Wednesday. That's Wednesday. Wednesday, we'll talk. Yeah. Uh, we have a girl here whose name is Benita Jarrett, and she sings all Latino music. Do you know her? Or do you have no, I don't know of her. Uh, to tell you the truth, until about 20 years ago, when I was a younger scholar starting in this field, I thought I knew every performer of Latino song in the world. Now, I don't think I know 5%. There, there, I believe you, and there remain. By the way, Southern California was an important hub for Ladino song. Um, I can't remember the name she passed away, but there, there was, first of all, you know, there is a Turkish Sephardi community in LA, very, very strong, uh, particularly in the 40s, 50s. They had several Sephardic synagogues in LA, and some of these synagogues uh, engendered uh, some singers, which uh, uh, particularly uh, Rabbi, what I remember, because I met him when I was a student, a great cantor in Wilshire Boulevard, Tiferet Israel, the Sephardic synagogue in Westwood, uh, uh, cantor Bahar. He came from Bulgaria to LA, and he was a great, and he recorded something that, you know, with instruments too, the cantor. So the, uh, there was a very vibrant Ladino scene in LA, and in general, including parts of uh, uh, Orange County. I interviewed um, an amazing woman collector of Sephardic songs in Torrance, south of the airport. Uh, there were Turkish Jews there. Believe me, when I, when I say a multi-diasporic, I, I know what I'm saying. These people are everywhere. Sometimes it's 10 families, 20 families. You don't need a huge community, OK? So, the, uh, so Southern California has a lot. And I'm not surprised that there is probably a new generation of whom I, I now I don't know. Uh, if I happen to hear, and many of these singers come to me, if I can give them songs to sing. So, um, I'm sure that she comes to meet you. 
because okay. I, and I want to ask one more question. I actually like the one without the words, the best. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and which one is your favorite? Wait, hold on. I wanna, <laughs> wait, wait, stop there for one second because yeah. that's what I wanted to finish with. Yeah. First of all, are you Sparty? The Uruguayan, what's the... Uh, no, uh, uh, by, by the narrow uh, yes. definition, not at all. By the narrow definition, you speak the language, so therefore you are. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. 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 That's a complex issue, but <laughs> there are many Ashkenazi in, in Latin America that call themselves Sephardi now because of what I told you about the issue of authenticity and pride in an ancestry. So because they speak Spanish and they are nominally Latinos, like I am, but you can play, I can play. I lived in Southern California as a Latino. Nobody knew that I was from Israel, and I survived. And I got better prices in every garage. <laughs> so the, 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 well, I don't know if you answered my question. I don't know, what, what is the Uruguayan population? Okay. Uh, okay, if you ask, I can answer. Just real quick, and then there are, there, uh, the uh, Jews arrived to Uruguay uh, exactly like they arrived from to, um, to the United States, from everywhere. So there are Jews from Hungary, from Poland, from Germany, and from Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, etc. There are about 40,000 Jews in Uruguay. They were at the peak of the community. I think today there are about 30,000. And I was telling Galia that this may sound a small number, but the whole of Uruguay. I think it must be one third of Orange County. Mm -hmm. So the, the, in proportion to the size of the country of Uruguay, three million inhabitants, that's it. Uh, there are, the, uh, the community is uh, it's large, it's very multi-ethnic, uh, it's very active, it's very Zionist, by the way. This is why I assume that one out of each four Uruguayan Jews live in Israel. One out of four. I wish it was the same for the United States. We'll be in better shape. <laughs> and then I, I was interested actually, are there any Sephardim in the room? Uh, we have one uh, Sephardi. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred, Fred, Fred came from Turkey. Fred and uh, Okay, Fred, right. But there's a woman right here from where where where's your My grandfather came from Turlu in Turkey and my grandmother from Monastir. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you did you know the song uh, that we were? No, I didn't know the song, but I know uh, uh, Professor Benardi. Okay. He, was a, he was a friend of my uncle, uh, Louis Levy. Well, okay. Great. Uh, which is wow. interesting. We're a lot of Ashkenazi learning about Sephardi culture <laughs> here. But uh, my question was, I was wanted to do a quick poll before I leave. Which version of the song people liked? Because oh, okay. well, I'm just kind of can you can you tell the versions again real quick, and then just see what people like. So, how many versions did you play for us? Uh, I think we played six. Yeah. Okay, you, you can only choose one. So we'll start with the one that was completely with, with no voices, the one that David liked. We'll call that the David Wilner version. How many people like that David version? The words. Okay, David liked that one. Yes, that was okay, we had two. It was the uh, Renaissance. Okay, but uh, I'm just going to mention. Then you had the, the, the first woman, the one who recording. Uh, well, we had, uh, let's go back one. Yeah. Okay? So we have the uh, singer from Canada the, uh, with the piano, oh, the Tarantella. Okay. Did anybody like the. Uh, yes. What? Okay, that wasn't the most popular. Okay, what was the okay. going back? Going uh, backwards, uh, we heard uh, Rabbi Yadnadav from Brooklyn. Okay, that, that was my favorite. Nice. 
I'm trying to convince points. you all. That was my favorite. There are several, yeah. So I'm going to try, by the way, I'll try and get you all yeah. after the professor leaves. I'll get you a list of some of the recordings. So if you want to look up yes. stuff and find yes. CDs. Yes. Because yes. I'd never heard him before, and I was yeah. very impressed. Okay, that was, uh, put your hands up again if you liked him. I want to see that. I liked him. Okay, so we have, uh, uh, okay, keep going. Uh, then uh, we played Gloria um, Levin. And then we play Joaquin Diaz. About Jaime Fendi. Oh, yeah. I have two favorites. Actually, kind of, yeah. Jaime Fendi originally. Jaime Fendi originally. Yeah. Okay, I, you know, what was interesting, so you know, was it was almost equal. Other than David by himself in the room. <laughs> the uh, spiritual music. I'm going to try post them after. By the way, uh, all what I said today was recently published in an, in an article. So if you want, I can, I still don't even have the scan of the article, but I can send, it's a little bit academic, but what I gave you today is the summary of this 45-page uh, long article uh, on, on the song. And you will see there thousands of details that I, of course, had to skip for the, for the lecture. Yeah. Okay. So thank you all for coming today. Remember, singing is readiness. Uh, popular music and Israeli culture identity tomorrow night at B'nai Israel and back here on Wednesday, the sound and music of the synagogue. Thank you guys.